Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venue 3S, Garmin's all-new hybrid smartwatch that is a perfect blend of function and style. Purpose-built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts, the Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-risk coach there to support your every goal. Head to garmin.com.au to find out more. Today, we welcome back our wonderful pediatric guest, Anna Rattan, who has previously been on our podcast, who is an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with over 12 years of experience. Anna specializes in pediatric and neonatal nutritional therapy and dietary education and is a creator of Nourish Little Lives. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part series with Anna. The first part series, we talked all about fussy eating in toddlers, and this episode is all about a Q&A from our listeners where Anna answers all of your questions. So let's dive straight into today's podcast, and you can follow Anna on her socials. On Instagram, she's at Nourish Little Lives, and Anna's website is nourishlittlelives.com.au. Let's dive straight into today's potty. Welcome back, Anna, to our podcast today for our Q&A special on feeding fussy children. Thanks, Leanne, for having me again. It's great to be back for part two. We covered a lot in the first session. We absolutely did. So if listeners, you haven't heard the part one with Anna, I would definitely recommend doing that one first. It's our expert interview with Anna all around how to feed our children well. And then part two is we're answering some listener audience questions. So Anna, I'm going to dive straight in. The first question from our audience from Kate. Kate would like to know, is hidden veggies a good strategy or should we be teaching our children to identify each fruit and vegetable in a meal? Great question. I really, is, it's going to depend on your child here. If you're already using vegetables in dishes, so for example, if you're regularly making, you know, loaded, veggie loaded bolognese, if your child's happy having vegetables in their food, like curries or lasagnas or mixed dishes, and they're happy with the food in there, then that's fine to keep doing. It's important that children kind of eat a variety of different foods. So it is a really useful strategy for helping children to eat food because we know that they've got veggies in the food that they're eating. It also helps us as parents to kind of relax a little bit if we know they've eaten something with veggies in it if they're naturally aversive to veggies themselves. So sometimes it it can be a good strategy because it actually helps us to relax at the mealtime when we've served veggies on their plate and they don't eat it. It's probably not going to matter as much if you know they've eaten something with veggies in it earlier in the day. So it can be a useful strategy with parents as well just to kind of relax, back off a little bit of stress, not worry too much and let the child kind of do their job at the mealtime. That being said, it's also really important to teach your child about veggies. Sorry, I always like to say do both. Do both. Put veggies in their food but also talk about food. It's useful if you are making something and it's got veggies in it to let your child know. Like, yes, there's carrot in here or there's zucchini and, you know, you can put some carrot and zucchini on their plate so they can see what carrot and zucchini is. They've got an opportunity to explore and eat the food. We have to remember that, you know, toddlers especially, 
and even young children, you know, carrot, zucchini, broccoli, they don't, they're not the greatest tasting veggies. Like, but they might, they probably taste better mixed into other food too. Like, how did we like eating our veggies realistically? Or when did you really like eating kale? You know, we probably want it mixed in with other foods. Never, probably. Like, that's right. Or not to you're an adult because you kind of can understand that it's good for you. So, you know, we want food to taste good. And if they're going to eat it because it's mixed into something else, then that's absolutely fine to do. Because learning to eat, you know, it's bitter, sour taste, takes a lot of time and practice as well. So you do both because we don't just want them hidden and then not them not having any sort of exposure at all at other times. Mm, I love that. All right. Second question from Meg. We're just going to kick on with all these questions because we've got a little bit to get through today. Meg would like to know, at what age should kids grow out of fussy eating? And again, I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. And I think when we spoke about that in our first catch up, when we we're talking about fussy eating, you know, the evidence doesn't support that children actually outgrow fussy eating. We know that 50% of children won't just outgrow it. So it really does depend on what's going on for your child, potentially if there are any kind of underlying issues going on in terms of what's contributing to the fussy or, you know, restrictive eating that you're saying. If you do have a toddler, we know that kind of toddler picky type eating kind of peaks around 18 months to 36 months of age. So I guess you would typically see a child a toddler kind of start eating a little bit better uh, around three and a half, maybe four years old, if it was just typical kind of toddler eating. If you are concerned about what your child is eating, though, I wouldn't recommend waiting till they outgrow it. Like if you're worried, if you're stressed, if mealtimes are stressful, then you don't want to delay getting some support and interventions because sometimes if we have a child that is, is perhaps going through a developmental period of kind of fussy eating that's age-appropriate toddler eating, but it's causing us stress as parents. And then we're implementing strategies that are perhaps not ideal in that scenario. So, for example, if we start bribing or if we start changing what we do, we, we create kind of like a worry cycle where we start to worry about what they're eating and then we start changing how we act around food or we start making, putting pressure on food or we start distracting or we start offering different food or we start we stop serving food, food because they don't eat it or we start only serving food that they only like, then what can tend to happen is that fussy eating doesn't, the, the child doesn't outgrow fussy eating because it becomes a kind of learned behaviour adaption to you know, that experience of what's happened while they were showing normal toddler eating behavior. So do get help if you're worried because we don't necessarily know that they're going to outgrow it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good to know that 50% of children actually won't. Like it's not something that just magically resolves when they hit three or when they hit five. It really is a working progress for parents, but also children to continuously explore and have that constant exposure to those new foods, isn't it? Yeah. And I think too, like just, you know, I, I'll see clients and one of their frustrations often is, you know, the, I'll see them when they're six years old and they're like, I wish I saw you three years ago, you know, because they've kind of delayed, they've been told by health professionals even or minimized that there's nothing to worry about, you know, they're going to grow out of it. And then, you know, so they, they didn't get help earlier where perhaps we could have really nipped things in the butt a lot earlier and addressed it really early. And now the behaviours have become so ingrained in the child, it becomes a lot harder to address at that point. You've got to do a lot more work. Yeah, and that's become their normal, which is really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they've now 
you know, over time what will happen is they'll start even restricting their diet even further. Food choices become narrower. You'll start to see kind of more selective business, dropping foods they, use, you know, used to eat. All these sorts of things can happen if it goes, progresses for a really long time without having some strategies in place to support it. And that kind of leads us, I guess, into the next question from Bianca, who would like to know. So my son only eats white foods, no vegetables, no fruit, but he eats lots of dairy, pasta, chicken nuggets, and bread. What is the best way to get him to eat more variety? I put things on his plate, but he just tosses them off. He's five. He's five. Okay. So again, firstly, white foods can be nourishing. So the first thing you'd want to do in this situation is actually work out how you can nourish your child within the scope of foods that they're actually eating. So is it only bread or chicken or can we also then include white vegetables? Like will they have cauliflower? Will they have potato? Will they have bananas, which kind of fits on the whitish, almost whitish color? Or will they have cannellini beans or peeled pear? So is there other kind of white foods that they can eat to help build out their nutrition? The other thing to consider too is if you're kind of at a point where your child is refusing whole food groups, like say it is just really limited to carbs and protein and there isn't, you know, vegetables in the mixer, then it is probably a time to get some individual advice and assessment about how to progress that further. If he is getting frustrated with foods that you're putting on his plate and he's tossing them off, I would kind of want to know how those foods are being presented. You know, are you presenting them next to a white food that he's comfortable with? Because that would be the first step, like making sure that there is something on his plate that he's happy to have, like it might be bread or it might be chicken, for example, or plain pasta as a preferred food. And then we can put some you know, carrot or cucumber, whatever it is next to that. So is the food being presented in that way so that there is something on his plate that is recognisable and that he's able to eat? That would be something I'd be interested to know as well. If at that point he's still throwing it off and still not wanting the cucumber and carrot on his plate and then only wanting the white food, we might need to do some more individual work there. It probably is a really strong sensory response to some of those other foods and colours. Sometimes we use a learning plate. So we actually get a little separate plate out, a separate learning plate. Let's see if he's able to tolerate it on his learning plate as a first step so that it's not actually on the plate next to his food and then we can build from there. Usually in this case, we kind of have to do a sensory-based approach to learning about new food and we learn about food through using all of our senses. So at the moment, it doesn't sound like he's able to tolerate foods even from a sight perspective. So we'd have to work on that. And there might be other strategies too where you could perhaps engage him in being interested in some of those foods or experimenting with some of those foods away from the mealtime. You know, get him in the kitchen, get him out shopping and cooking, start talking about food there as well. One of my friends is a dietitian and she always posts photos. She cuts vegetables up into cool shapes and then uses paint to like stamp and make paintings with vegetables. Like she'll slice cucumber, oh sorry, slice capsicums and then use that to like use it as like paint basically for, for her kids to make, um, you know, different types of paintings with different types of vegetables, cuts them into like little star shapes and that sort of thing. So it's that again, that exposure, like you said, away from the meal table, which for really fussy children as they get older can be just a great source of exposure. And it kind of makes them feel a little bit safer around vegetables, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, they have to be able to tolerate it in their sight before they're going to get it anywhere near their mouth. 
So that is the first step. So if we can get them kind of interacting with the food away from the mealtime, if the mealtime is causing too much stress and then they're throwing it off, then sure, let's get them interacting with it away from the mealtime, get them experimenting with the food. The other thing too is sometimes, and I, I should have perhaps mentioned this as well, but sometimes it's about how we present it like, and how we talk about it. So sometimes we have to actually say to the child, you don't have to eat it but let's see if we can leave it on our plate. You have to be very clear that there are zero expectations for him to eat the food because all we really want him to do is at this point in time, even just be able to tolerate it on his plate. So be very, very clear. You don't have to eat it. Sometimes it can help you to even to say, I don't even want you to eat it, but let's see if you can leave it on your plate. Great. All right. And the next question from Sarah. So I'm very fussy as an adult and I don't eat very well. How can I get my four-year-old to eat more vegetables when even I don't like them? Yeah, that's a tricky one. And, you know, just goes to show that actually you might not necessarily outgrow your picky and fussy eating because it can kind of progress into adulthood even as well. Look, food modeling obviously is very important. If you're feeling kind of anxious about certain foods or you don't like them, then it is a bit more challenging. It's really important not to kind of yuck their yum. So don't kind of put your perception of food out to them. Don't comment. Don't say anything. Don't say you don't like it. Act like you do, (laughs) even if you don't. And if they put something in their mouth that you wouldn't normally eat, don't react. Don't say anything. That's great that they're exploring the food. So you have to allow them to explore the food and without you kind of commenting or saying anything about it. And perhaps don't even refer to yourself as fussy at all because sometimes when we label things, it becomes a thing too. So don't label yourself as fussy in front of your child because they're also going to kind of take that in border. Mum's fussy, mum, mum doesn't eat it. You know, maybe I won't eat it or I don't think that it's safe if mum doesn't eat it. So if you don't eat it, it's okay. But what would be great is if you sat down with your child and explored the foods together. So you might not want to put it in your mouth. That's okay. But do show your child how to touch the food, how to feel the food. What does it smell like? You know, can you talk about the food, describe the food to your child? So you're still kind of building a positive interaction with the food, even though you're not yet putting it in your mouth. And actually what you might find is those sorts of strategies actually help you even to address some of your own fussy eating around the food as well so look at ways of exploring the food not based on just eating but on taste on what it looks like and talk about the color maybe talk about changing the shape of the food talk about what it smells like rather than just kind of focusing on the eating part there's lots of other strategies you can do as well yeah i love that all right question five from kelly tips of where to start if you already have bad habits set up with your five-year-old it would depend on what the bad habits are <laughs> if we assumed that the bad habits were kind of grazing for example which is really common what i see in a lot of kind of picky eating families where there's not a huge amount of structure during the day and perhaps you know children are you know helping themselves to items in the pantry or you know us as parents if you know the child says i'm hungry i want this we give it to them because we're worried about how much they're eating that would be a really common kind of habit that i see forming in families where we have that raising pattern you know kids constantly eating throughout the day because they've got constant access to food and then what happens is they you know lose that ability to determine what is hunger and what is fullness because they're pretty much got something in their stomach all the time so it becomes very difficult to then eat well at the next meal time 
and also usually means that there's a bit of imbalance in their nutrition intake because most of their food is potentially coming from kind of your snack or grazing foods and then they're actually eating very little of the main meals where we want them to eat. So the first thing I would do there would be to really look at building a lovely predictable routine and having some boundaries around when food is and isn't available. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you a quick update from today's episode sponsor, Garmin. The Venue 3S is Garmin's latest hybrid smartwatch that is a perfect blend of function and style. Purpose-built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts, the Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-risk coach there to support your every goal. It gives you detailed health and wellness insights such as body battery energy monitoring, sleep coaching, a morning report, nap detection, stress tracking, a pulse ox sensor, women's health and pregnancy tracking, meditation, mindful breathing, and even a jet lag advisor. With 30 plus sports apps, animated workouts, and a Garmin coach, you can train purposely and effectively. The Venue 3S is built for how you move. It can track pushes and offers built-in workouts designed for wheelchair users. With up to 10 days of battery life in smartwatch mode, the Venue 3S fitness smartwatch is able to give you a more complete picture of your health. Head over to garmin.com.au to find out more. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. And then next question is from Amy. Is it common for babies to love meat and then go off it all of a sudden? My 14 month old all of a sudden is very fussy with meat. I feel like we kind of covered this in the last potty, but I think it's a good little recap. Look, I think it's definitely a common thing like to see though that change happen around, you know, 14, 18 months of age. And sometimes it's a textural thing, you know, toddlers are busy. They don't want to chew a lot of meat. Meat's very chewy. They'll often chew it and spit it out. You know, they don't have the patience to kind of, they want to move their body. They want to eat things really quickly. They might only eat a few mouthfuls of food. They might not be sitting for very long. So it is common to kind of see that change happen in toddlerhood one of the things that we can do is just modify how we serve meat so sometimes if we're serving meat in a dish or it's soft meat or it's slow cooked they might be a little bit more inclined to eat it that way because it's not as chewy it's not as textured so sometimes just a texture modification can make a difference sometimes if we take the pieces down really even small and just make like tiny little breadcrumbs out of the meat and sprinkle that on their food they might be happy to then eat the meat that way because again it's not requiring a huge amount of effort for them to do, for chew and eat either. Keep exposing, keep putting it on the plate. And sometimes it's helpful to serve it with something else that you know they're going to eat. So we've served it with a dip, for example, serve it with some hummus, serve it with some Greek yogurt. So they've got something that they can dip it into as like a kind of a bridging food to eating. It can be useful as well. And check the texture because I think sometimes too, we kind of assume, oh, they're, you know, they're toddlers now. They don't, you know, they can handle more texture. Yes, they can, but meat is chewy and textured. So just take it down, take it down to an appropriate size for a toddler. Check the size that you're serving, that it's age appropriate. And like you said, um, on the last podcast, sometimes they just get tired at nighttime. And I feel like what I've really tried to do with Mia when she's home, she's not on daycare is give a really good, like hot lunch for lunch. And then by dinner time, I'm like, if you just eat avocado toast, like I'm not even phased. So sometimes, like you said, sometimes they're just exhausted after a long day. And if it is more of that tough type of meat, maybe they're just too tired to chew it. So is introducing like a, a more balanced lunch meal or bringing the hot meal forward. Can that sort of help with a little bit of fussiness in toddlers as well? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Actually, you know, to be fair, one of the things that I talk about a lot and even over on Instagram is 
is making sure because toddlers are so unpredictable and they might eat more at one meal and less at the next meal, one eat more one day and less the next day, is making sure that every meal actually contains a carbohydrate, a protein and a fruit or vegetable. Because what they don't eat at breakfast, they'll then have the opportunity to eat at lunchtime. And if they didn't eat it at lunchtime, they'll have the opportunity to eat that same mix of nutrients at dinner. So if we always make sure their plate is balanced, then over the day, it's very likely that they will be able to meet their nutrition requirements because they've had multiple opportunities to eat a protein or eat a carbohydrate and eat a fruit or vegetable, rather than just waiting to serving those foods only at dinner time spread them out earlier in the day absolutely and make sure you you know you're sp- using that you know even at breakfast time can you get a protein food in there it doesn't have to be meat it could be chia seeds or hemp seeds you know flaxseed meal something else a yogurt another sort of protein source all right next question is from emily does introducing textures earlier have a link with fussy eating yes it's really important to get your texture in early sorry there's that critical window for lumps, which is before nine to 10 months of age. So we do want to make sure that when we're introducing solids, if we haven't kind of already started with baby led weaning or if we haven't done combination feeding, if we have started with traditional spoon feeding, that we are progressing textures and that the child has the opportunity to have lumps, textured food, safe, soft bite-sized pieces before nine to 10 months of age. And that's really, really important for developing skills like jaw strength, chewing and swallowing skills, and also just being able to tolerate different textures in the mouth. You know, food is not always one texture. You know, food's going to come in lots and lots of different textures. So it's really important that babies, you know, get the exposure to that. And they are capable of managing finger food and and textures by nine months of age. So long-term, yes, it can actually impact fussy eating if we're not introducing lumps and texture early. Great. Next one from Caitlin. How do I manage food exposure with my child when they won't even let me put the foods on their plate? I feel like we did cover this a little bit earlier with the, the separate side plate, but yeah, any other tips or tricks or you think just start with exposing? We do want to get the food on their plate, ideally. But sometimes if that is too much for the child, then we have to start a little bit further away first. So potentially you might serve food family style in the middle of the table and just that way, you, you know, it's still within your child's sight. Your child's still seeing you eating the food, still seeing other family members eat the food. They're still seeing the food, but it's not directly on their plate yet. That could be a good place to start in that situation. Again, I'd highly recommend getting your child interacting with foods away from the table. You know, get them to the shops, get them helping with a recipe, get them putting fruit and vegetables away, start talking about food. Another key point there is as an adult, if we went to a restaurant and we were going to order something new off the menu, we would read every single ingredient that is on that list before we ordered it, right? I know I would. I'd be like, what is in this meal before I ate it? It is really powerful to explain to your child what the food is, what it feels like, what it looks like, what colour it is. Use describing language. It is going to help your child learn about the food. So, for example, if you've served something family style in the middle of the table and say it's carrot, you can say this is carrot. It's orange and crunchy. It is really powerful just to talk about food in that neutral way and describe food to your children. And then eventually, hopefully once he's comfortable at that point, you might be able to get the food a little bit closer. But also it is how you present it. And again, 
you know, you have to let your child know they don't have to eat it because sometimes they don't want it on their plate because they are worried that you're going to make them eat it or taste it or have a bite. You have to be very clear that you do not want them to eat the food. They don't have to taste it, but we just want it on their plate. And then how you describe foods, particularly fruits and veggies, is very sort of like neutral. Like we always want to stay neutral in our emotions. This is my own question I'm throwing in there. Is it a good thing to celebrate? Like say the toddler picks up the carrot or picks up the cucumber and they eat it. Should we be like, oh, well done, Mia, you ate the carrot. I'm so proud of you. Or should we literally just kind of ignore it and just be really neutral and just be like, yeah, cool, you ate your dinner, well done, and just treat the carrot like it would be the toast, like it would be the pasta, just be really neutral? Or should we actively try to celebrate and encourage them to eat a little bit more like you're so great eating the cucumber well done big girl or is that going to create more problems because we're almost like labeling it and making it more you're like putting it on a pedestal kind of thing yeah look it is going to depend on your child's temperament here a little bit as well because sometimes even positive reinforcement can come across as pressure because we are then giving them a big reaction oh my gosh you did it wow that's amazing you took a bite of your carrot you know that a lot of big emotion or excitement from us can sometimes make the child pull back a little bit and it can come across as pressure. So in most cases, it's best to stay neutral. You can still celebrate it, but celebrate it neutrally. I would be something like, well, you're showing me you picked up the carrot. You did it. That would be kind of enough in that situation because it's also what we're trying to establish is your child's innate ability to want to eat the food, not to please us. If we're giving a big reaction, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You did it. We're almost encouraging them it's like we're, we're encouraging them to please us as opposed to just letting them own that they're eating the food and that, you know, they should feel good about it themselves. And that's just a really normal thing to do to understand and, and eat a variety of different foods and not to do it just to please us. So we kind of have to be a little bit careful or tread carefully there a little bit. You can certainly celebrate it, but I certainly wouldn't be over the top. And look, in most cases, I would tell parents, you know, be excited on the inside, <laughs> really neutral on the outside. And sometimes it actually works better for some children to ignore it altogether. And it is going to depend a little bit on your child's temperament and what's potentially going on for your child at the mealtime as well. Yeah, I like that. Be excited on the inside because honestly, sometimes if you, you know, your toddler hasn't eaten veggies in like a month, you just want to like bring out the party poppers kind of thing. And you're just like, just chill, just relax, just breathe, pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, you're just like, you're just like calm on the outside, but you're excited on the inside. Or you might just give, you know, your partner a look. Yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Are you seeing what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And then last question, question 10 from Melanie. So my 16 month old only wants carbs. How do I ensure she's getting all of her nutrients? Okay. So again, carbs are nourishing and carbs do contain nutrition. They're not nutrient poor and it depends on the types of carbohydrates that your child's eating but you know carbohydrates can be a source of vitamins and minerals they can be a source of fiber they can be a source of protein even as well sorry I guess I'd be kind of exploring a little bit here is the type of carbs that they're eating are they ultra processed carbohydrates or have we got some whole food carbohydrates here as well if the child's perhaps eating some starchy vegetables even that's you know a form of carbohydrate too we've got potato corn sweet potato for example so there is the possibility that we can still meet their nutrition requirements if it's heavily carb based but we certainly want them still eating a variety of different foods remember toddlers are really really active so they can almost be 
driven to eat carbs because they're quick and they're easy to eat. They're going to give like a quick burst of energy as well to children too. So carbohydrates definitely easier to eat than say a fruit or vegetable or some meat, for example. So in that sense, what can be helpful is, you know, serving a variety of foods with the carbohydrate. We don't want to stop serving the foods that we want our child to eat just because they're not eating it. Because if we don't, if we stop serving it, then they stop learning about it and they stop seeing it. So along with the carbohydrate that you serve on their plate, put something else, put a protein, put a fruit or vegetable. Each meal that you serve your toddler should be balanced. There should be a carbohydrate, a protein and a fruit or vegetable on the plate. So you still need to kind of be serving the foods, even if your child's only eating the carbohydrate portion. And eventually they will start to learn to eat those foods because they're going to see them all the time on their plate. And sometimes we just need to think about toddlers and how they learn. A lot of how they learn is through play and through fun and through interaction. We have to keep mealtimes lighthearted and fun and interactive. So we might just get them interacting with some of the other foods on the plate with the protein, get them exploring the food, talk about it, get them touching and feeling it. Say, what does it feel like? What does your chicken feel like? Or what does the lamb feel like, for example? So you can get them kind of touching and interacting with their food as well. And is it okay, I guess, a sneaky little last question for myself to let your toddlers kind of play with their food at the table? Because me is still at a really young age where like she'll eat dinner at 5, 5.30. My hubby and I don't really eat till 7.38. So I wouldn't say we do family meal times just because she's quite small. She normally does dinner by herself. We do try and do lunch together. And at dinner time, sometimes if I'm chopping up veggies for, you know, our dinner later on, or um, the other day I put some cherry tomatoes on her plate and she didn't want to eat them. And I said, do you just want a spoon? And you can spoon them into like I had a little jar and she was putting her beans in the jar. So I said, do you want to add some of the tomatoes into the jar just to get that play and exposure? Is that okay to do at mealtimes as well? Or would you recommend separating them out more if they're going to play with their food, keep that for playtime and just kind of let them eat their food at the table? Is there a right or a wrong there? I mean, you could probably do both. I guess any opportunity that your child is touching and interacting with a food is a step towards learning about it. So when we really break down how children learn about food, they learn about it through sight, taste, sound, smell, you know, what it feels like, perhaps what it tastes like, what it does in their mouth before they're actually going to be confident eating it. We have to allow them to have those interactions with food that are taste, sound, play, feeling, touching, making a mess so that they can learn to eat it. You know, that provides so much sensory information to the brain about what the food's going to do when it gets in their mouth. So any opportunity that your child is doing that is a good opportunity. You can certainly have boundaries around it. You know, you don't want your child kind of, you know, going for it, making a huge mess everywhere. <clears throat> but you can certainly give them some little things to do. Sometimes they just need a little bit of direction. Like you might say, let's see what happens. You know, let's pick the baby peas out of the pea pod. You know, sometimes they just need to explore food or what happens when we mash up our carrot with our fork. You know, you can give them something to do. Oh, wow, we've changed the shape of it. What happens when we squeeze the cherry tomato? Like, yeah, there's seeds inside. So we're just kind of exploring the food with our child. It's all really useful information that we're providing or learning opportunities that we're providing to the child so they, they can eventually learn to eat the food that we're asking them to eat. So there's no right or wrong in terms of when you do it. Typically, you know, there's less pressure away from mealtime. So if kids are kind of feeling pressured at mealtime, it is useful to do some of those strategies away from the from the mealtime because it's just going to help them to feel less pressure and perhaps kind of eat the food. I'll never forget, like even for 
I have a, I had a very fussy child. And, he, and look, even a pediatric dietitian can have a fussy child because, you know, even though we do all the right things, children are children. They are going to be selective about what they eat and they all grow in different ways. And, you know, he was just like totally aversive to vegetables. And so we were just kind of doing like a little activity where I got him kind of grating some carrot and the next minute he's eating the carrot. Like sometimes they just need to interact with the food a little bit first before they're happy to put it in their mouth. And look, some kids it's an easy fix. A lot of, a lot of times, you know, we're working with a lot of long-term strategies here, but sometimes it is really that simple of just letting them interact with and play with the food and they need those, you know, repeated exposures to those foods. So sometimes you might have to keep doing that 10 times before they're willing to put it in their mouth. In my experience, for me, it's more like 20, 30. <laughs> but even then you just keep going, don't you? You just keep going because you just don't know. Yeah. And the, that's the that comes back to that division of responsibility where we decide what's served. And if this is what we're serving in the family, then everybody is served that food. But then it's your child's job to decide what they eat off their plate. And long-term, we know, again, we're talking long or end game here, long-term thinking, it really helps them to build a healthy, lifelong relationship with food. Yeah. I love that. And a perfect end for the podcast today. So thank you, Anna, again, so much for joining us and giving us all of your expertise. Can you let our listeners know where they can follow you on Instagram and what your website is if they want to check you out or book a consultation with you. Sure. Thanks so much for having me again. I've actually really enjoyed those listener questions. There were some great questions there and it's nice to kind of put it into practical kind of advice type setting, isn't it? So I'm over at Nourish Little Lives on Instagram and website is nourishlittlelives.com.au and there are consults I book or consult Australia-wide via video conferencing and train specifically in, you know, different, different approaches to fussy eating, SOS, responsive feeding therapy. And a lot of work I do is actually with children that are, you know, very restricted, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, underlying conditions as well. So if you are looking for some help, you can certainly come in and check it out over on the website. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Anna, for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks so much for having me.